Come on, Babs, come on. Well, I'm standing just outside the wall garden and the big 12-foot wall, looking up at the, the glory vine and the big leaves that are coming over the wall. And the colours, I wish you could see the colours, they're just auburn and russet red and greens. The greens are beautiful and the reds are beautiful. But when the sun shines through them, they're really spectacular. And then ruined if I turn this way, I can see flowers on the viburnum and the bees still working on the, on the pollen. Amazing. <laughs> it's been a really weird season so far. We've had really unusually mild days for this time of year. And I've even got roses blooming on my Scots rose hedge, blooming at this time of year. But despite that thing, much, I'm sure, to the delight of our heat gardener, for reminded us of all the jobs we should be doing in the garden at this time of year. I'm not asking him about that again. Richie and me were traumatised by the amount he was saying. <laughs> traumatised? But some jobs have to be done. And the apples have been harvested. I gave them to a pal that made a, a Herman cake. Oh, wow, that was good. It's a, it's a German friendship cake. I'll maybe speak to Claire about that. It was so good. And the courtyard bit of here. Well, I'll look ruined. I'm still working on it. I've cut back the boar tree and the Nelly Moser, the climbing clematis. Cheapers, Nelly, had <laughs> gained bonkers this year. She'd become a triffid. And I've cut back the Rosa Ragosa suckers and the Hydrangea petiolaris suckers. And that was a jabby job. And I've put on my wee solar lights through the bushes. <laughs> Be bonny. Well, most of them, until I found a wasp's nest hiding under the last bush. I'm going to leave that till later in the season. And Jodie and myself have been clearing out most of the greenhouse, and if it's still growing and looking good in there, I hear you ask. Them Brussels sprout plants are really doing well. But the tam thumes have been taken out, along with the wild flowers, and the seeds collected first, of course. And the plants spread out, out over the the new cleared patch. And of course, all the tomato plants are root and then the, the compost by. Did a job that was. But now, I cover the soil with my weed suppressant, my biodegradable fibre roll, and it really does work. So, the gardeners will be sitting in their virtual sheds, wintering far far. So me and the dunk will wander doing the garden path again. And let me invite you to join us for another episode and our last episode of the season. Join us for Grow Radio. Hello and welcome to our virtual sheds again and our real gardens. Like a four, I'm Frida Morrison, just a boot, and the team assure me they are going to be themselves. It's no good kenning sometimes. But we are enthused again, enthused with the news that we have special guests. We like to hear special guests. We like to hear company. And on that note, let me introduce the team. 
in the left shed. You soon sort of wretchy wearner, wretchy command. Hey, how we doing? <laughs> oh, fine. This been happening doing in the Ember Garden. Oh, bro. Do you know what? I've I put my attention on uh, all things house plants, so I've been repotting, getting new compost into the pure wee neglected house plants. But do you know what? I was rewarded with a very beautiful orchid, and Whoa. it came into full bloom. So I'm delighted. Pride of place to do in the mantelpiece. <laughs> oh, fabulous, fabulous, Richie. And in the rest said, chair of the Open Garden Scheme and a past curator at the Ember Botanics, welcome Dave Mitchell. Hello there, Frida. What's your topics this episode, Dave? Oh, topics for this episode? Work. And mere work. I can it gives you the scunner, but there's lots of good jobs in colour in the winter garden. Oh, and I think we're going to be talking about apples, I know. Oh, right. Oh. Apples as well. And our cook with the art of magic coming to us, Philo Haber. Welcome Claire Patterson. Fits on the menu this time, Claire. Hi, Frida. We're we're going this this month. We're going for lots of kind of things for Halloween and bonfire night. So treats for the geysers and for bonfires and all kinds of things like that. You're sounding croaky, Claire. Are you okay? I'm a wee bit croaky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been speaking too much, laughing <laughs> too much as well. And it was grand to hear you in Loch Arbor. Right, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome our first guest, to a regular chum in the programme, musician, singer, songwriter, and Athen. For teen up entry to his first allotment this year. Welcome, Steve Byrne. Hi, hi, Frida. Hi, Abdi. Oh, hi, Abdi. And there's nothing can't find in your patch. It's going grand. We are green as anything. I was sowing seeds like a daft day in late July, so we've loads of winter greens on the go the new. And nothing's looking healthy. Aye, looking great. We'll get here more later. And hello to our new garden chum, leader of the Kelly Band Iron Brew, Charlie Abel Aberdeen. Charlie, come in, are you there? Hi, Frida. Hi. Good to Hi. speak to you. And you, no, Charlie, you, you got in contact about plans for planting a line of apples and pears, right? Aye. Can we get stuck into this right away? Aye. Yeah, well, I've got some great advice from Dave, which I've been reading and hearing a looky up on. And I've, I've I've been trying to build this cordon, and I've got it up, and I've got some some things planted. But uh, basically, to give an understanding, I've got the south facing garden in Aberdeen. I've been here for ten years, and when I moved in, the, the lawn was a like a vegetable garden, and I didn't have time for that because I've got two kids, and they want to play in grass, so I grassed <laughs> it over for some way to play. Right. And, it, and the soil's been covered in this grass for ten years. And outside of the lawn, on the outside, I've got a, a concrete path and I'll, I've put up a cordon structure to grow fruit. And I'm using four-inch posts that are put into the ground with post fix. And I've put up three wires about two feet apart on bamboo canes because that seems to be the kind of good way of doing it. And the cordon's right. a kind of an L shape. It's about 18 metres long and two metres high so I can pick a fruit for the ground boot to get on ladders and all that carry uh-huh. on. Ah, good for you. It doesn't take up all much space. Okay, okay right. So, fit have you planted so far? Uh, so far, I've got a, a scrumptious, a discovery, a katie, a golden delicious, some kind of bramley, because it doesn't tell me if it kind of bramley it is, and, and a rosette. I've got two conference pears and two plum trees, which are opal and rivers early. Right. First question, um, I would say, I'll go back to Dave. Dave, his choice of plants, what would you say about them? Well, it, it's an interesting choice. You know, just, just at looking at it, they're, they're all fairly modern varieties apart from Bramley. And, you know, you've got Golden Delicious there, Charlie. Uh, you can't, <sighs> Golden Delicious doesn't really do all that wheel here in Scotland, uh-huh. you know. 
if it was me, I'm afraid to say I would just hoik it out. Oh, okay. You know, it, it's 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 near doer up here. Um, there's a lot of things that you can grow. You can that are a, a, a lot better than that, definitely. Definitely. It, it was in about three years ago, and it looks guy scabby just now, anyway. So it's it's it didn't just look great. <laughs> it's just near there up here. I, uh, I would I would get the blessing and then quick it out. Quick it out. Doesn't that spark joy? <laughs> no, uh, Charlie had a question about quince fitzlagging. Um, I got a quince. I bought it last year, and uh, I've got it. It's it's near on the cordon, but it's close by the cordon, and. I can it's a type of pear and my my pear tree has not done anything, but this quince tree looks healthy, but it hasn't given me fruit yet either. But it's quite a it must be about a three or four year old tree. It's a, it's about two meters high, but quite thin. Do they pollinate apples or pears or they just completely no, different species? The the quince was first introduced into Britain as, as early as twelve seventy five. Mm-hmm. And it, well. it's easy growing. It sets fruit readily. Uh-huh. It's self-pollinating. Oh, good. And it doesn't tend to produce the fruit for about three or four years after planting. And then it'll settle down and it'll produce um, fruits on a regular basis. Um, the fruit's quite hard and very bitter. It, it, it really has to be cooked. And, you know, a lot of growers will tell you that if you've got two trees close together, you quite often get a better set of fruit. And mm-hmm. that way you get more fruit and you can make more jelly to go in with your cheese and cold meat. Uh-huh. Can it, 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 it's scrummy. But quince also needs a warm, sunny site. Otherwise, you can, the, the fruiting might be a wee bit erratic. And the further north that you go in the country, generally the smaller the fruits are. So that's maybe a reason to have two trees. Mm-hmm. Um, about your point specifically about pollination, whilst mm-hmm. they're used as a rootstock for pears occasionally, Mm-hmm. Um, they don't actually pollinate pears, nor do they pollinate other fruit trees. Okay. Okay, now you've got space for, you said, for four mere trees. Aye. Charlie. Well, even, even mere if I take out my golden delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, there, there, there's plenty. Again, looking at that list that mm-hmm. you had, we spoke about the golden delicious. You can, golden delicious is a nice apple. It's, be, it's best enjoyed through the shop. And that keeps somebody else in business. Um, uh, thinking about your corns and what you've got there, you've got quite a lot of good modern varieties. I would maybe be having a think about some of the old heritage varieties. Lovely. Things like Charles Ross. Uh-huh. You can, it's a lovely apple. It's an eater and a cooker, so you uh-huh. get two for the price of yen. It's also a good pollinator. Mm-hmm. There's another yen called Scotch Bridget. Again, it's an eater and a cooker. But it has another wee bonus in that it stores well. So uh-huh. that, that's another reason to hate something like that because you can't eat the Mortiens and you certainly can't swamp the kitchen with the Mortiens. Uh-huh. And then there's an, another great big, you know, like called Scotch Dumpling. It's a big, oh, cook, it's a big cooker uh-huh. and it, it marks grand frothy puree. But you shouldn't forget things like James Grieve. Uh-huh. You know, it's a good pollinator. It, 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 it's good for cooking. It's got a good flavour. And another thing I'm awful fond of is Chivers Delight. Mm-hmm. It tastes like honey and it stores well as well. So, you know, there's plenty to choose for there. And if it was me for your cordons, that's that's what I would be thinking about there, definitely. Yes, I'll see if I can get a hood of some of them. Well, there's, there's quite a few specialist nurseries that do heritage fruit trees in Scotland that have got them. And they'll have them in stock, so you know you, you'll need to order them for them. Uh-huh. But you'll get them, and they'll, they'll be 
in a way thinking about your corn, half of it's modern trees and half of it's then going to be kind of older varieties so you'll get a comparison between the two and it's it's a nice talking point as well and you should have good fruit of all of these things now okay. Dave did you not mention Fivey Castle when, when I spoke about this earlier ah, there's, a, there's an interesting collection of fruit at Fivey Castle so you can bide and far you day mm-hmm. now that we're all able to get out and about a wee bit more maybe in the summer of next year tuck yourself a wander up there and mm-hmm. see what they're growing and have a look at what's doing well i'm a great believer and we garden to enjoy what we're doing and yeah. we, we didn't garden to have problems mm-hmm. and if something's no performing or it's not going to perform didn't have any passion about it mm-hmm. just just take it out and hike it out and get something else that's going to give you pleasure reward and fun and joy mm-hmm. for all your effort you know then he scutter about with things that are being ever challenging uh-huh. see like that the golden delicious if i if i take a tree out should i just cut it off at the base or should i no, dig you, a whole out? you want to take out the root stock you know dig, okay. dig it right out dig it dig right, it right out, out. Okay. dig it right out i definitely okay. uh-huh. thank you charlie thank you dave we'll, we'll, we'll come no back to you can you've got more questions just hold on and we'll be back and congratulations to Charlie on the launch of his new CD card, Out of the Box, available, here's my plug here, for charlieable.com. <laughs> highly recommended, highly recommended. And we'll finish this programme with a track for that very CD, mere later. Now, Claire, over to you to tempt your taste buds. Well, Frida, I'll start with the savoury ones today. I'm starting with a spiced pumpkin soup. Now, I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to Halloween carving. For me, it's neeps all the way. However, my kids have fully embraced the pumpkin, so we always end up with plenty of pumpkin flesh to use up in the spiced pumpkin soup. But if you didn't have pumpkin, you can make it with butternut squash or any other squash you've got, or even sweet potatoes, great. So first, I'd chop an onion, fry it in a wee bit of oil or butter to soften it, And then in goes about a pound of roughly chopped pumpkin or squash flesh or sweet potatoes, a chopped tatty, and then a teaspoon of smoked paprika, teaspoon of ground coriander, and a bit of chilli powder or chilli flakes for a wee bit of spice. In goes a tin of coconut milk, half a pint of vegetable stock, and just simmer that till all the vegetables are tender. Blitz it in a blender, juice of a lime, wee bit extra stock to thin it out if it's too thick and a wee bit more seasoning and that's you. So dead easy. I could almost try that. That sounds You easy. should try that. You should try it. I'm really happy to know about this, I tell you, because like, like you, I've got, I went and got neeps and the kids are wanting a pumpkin. So I've got Aye. a pumpkin and I never know what to do with the inside of a pumpkin. So I'll be giving that a shot, yeah. Claire. Thank it's you. It's a good energy, yeah. Oh yeah. I can taste it already. I, ca- <laughs> I, ca- I carved my neep last year and the kids thought it was bonkers. It was, it was actually quite depressing. They <laughs> were like, what are you doing? Doing, Mum, what are you I doing? Know. Welcome to Scottish sleepy <laughs> lanterns. <laughs> anyway, um, so alongside your soup, we've got some sausage rolls. So these will be great for geysers or if you're having any kind of gatherings for the autumn. So these are leek and apple sausage rolls. So for the filling, I'm going to soften a chopped leek and some butter and then stick it in a bowl with a, an apple that you've grated or chopped up. You can leave the skin on. A few chopped sage leaves and either a pound of sausage meat or about eight good sausages out their skins. Bit of black pepper. You will only need salt because the sausage meat's usually quite seasoned. And give that a big squidge up together. Unroll a sheet of puff pastry. Cut it in two lengthways. So you've got two long 
long narrow rectangles, divide the fill in between those and then roll them up, seal them with egg, bit more egg on the top, cut them up big or small as you wish and then about 20 to 30 minutes at 190 Celsius just until the pastry's golden and the filling's nice and hot and cooked right through. Oh, Charlie, you've just joined us. And sometimes there's very strange noises coming through, through uh, uh, Richard's studio. Just <laughs> what do you mean, just me? <laughs> hey, right. It's kind of like stomach's rumbling. You can, after Claire speaks, so can I worry about noises in your computer? It's Richard. <laughs> Might be Dave. Richard Rumbles, that's what we're going. I'm still thinking about which of the recipes it's got to be, but I think the sausages win. Aye. Aye. I'll take the soup. You take the sausages. How's that? I mean, that pumpkin soup sounds grand, but it's awfully kind of over the pond like, you know? Aye. Um, Claire, go and tell us something. You see, when you open up a pumpkin, right? I remember it's been like kind of webby and seedy inside. So, what's Mm -hmm. the fleshy bit? That's not it, is it? So. Here, here's the thing. So Aye. the the big the the great big ones you get that for carving, uh-huh. you get basically it's the layer between the you take the seeds out, Aye. which you can you can cook the seeds as well. You can sieve them and dry them and roast them as well. All right. But um, it's basically the bit between the skin uh-huh. and the inside. There's a layer of flesh there you can right. So that's what we're off. going for. So the bit you'd cut off so that you can carve it so the light comes out. See, I could have made a mistake there. you would have you would have made it you can Richie I was doing the other day near Coldingham and I I come round the corner and I'm looking towards St Abbs Uh and it was an off a bonny sunny day and here in the middle of this field is about half an acre of pumpkins what you're kidding me and there's all these folk coming in and out pick your own pumpkin what? and everything it, it was absolutely wonderful to see oh, it it man. just was it, it, it did look off a bra it really yeah. did yeah. okay a cold order this is Grow Radio I'm Frida Morrison and with me is Dave Mitchell and our cook Claire Patterson with a croaky voice I hope you're okay Claire <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will be very sympathetic until the end of the programme then we'll say cheer bye get, get some medicine <laughs> we get a toddy <laughs> just, just so we can just so we can hear the recipes we can, aye. and in the wheelhouse steering us through the waves in Edinburgh is Richie Werner oh that's me how's it going <laughs> and we as our adopted gardener Steve Byrne and our new adopted gardener, Charlie Abel and Marafine. Right, Steve, we joined you at the beginning of the season when you had just teen hour your first allotment. We are no near the end of the season. Food is your garden ground. Fit does it look like new? Well, you say end of the season, Frida. It's not the end of the season in my allotment because it's green as anything. Um, I was just uh, saying to Dave on any of the earlier programmes, I was buying packs of seeds like sweeties and just hearing a bit of read into things that you can kind of plant on on uh, continuation succession planting and that sort of thing. So I have a hillside of the allotment that is just full of winter gem lettuces, mizuna, pak choy, uh, coriander, spring onions. There's even a few kohlrabi still coming. Uh, bits and pieces of Milan turnips, radishes. We've even got baby courgettes still going. So Whoa. I hate to say, you can, it's, it's just been interesting testing out the weather and the climate here and seeing what we can mark with. But we're just getting plenty still to, to eat. We're, we're trying to eat out the, the garden as much as we can and we're coming up with mm-hmm. kind of recipes. So it's been great. That's fantastic. I, no, it is a difference in, in temperature, I suppose, because as I said, I'm just winding up the, the greenhouse. When eight or twelve is left, but nothing much. Right, Steve, your first question. 
Well, just thinking ahead, really, to the, what's what's coming out of the bray is just thinking about the sort of things you could be if you've got a bit of space, Dave. What you might be planting the new for overwintering uh, to get a crop in the spring or early summer? Well, it's a good question, uh, Steve. You can, personally, I'm not a big fan of starting away things out early, new and overwintering them because it's a battle. As the day length shortens and the temperatures fall, me, I'd rather tuck the chance and go on with other big jobs in the allotment, can rid out, digging, composting. Get all that finished between now and when the days start to lengthen a wee bit towards early January. I mean, a lot of folks scutter about with things like salad leaves and tunnels and radishes and even pea shoots. And, but, you know, it's grand to hear what you've been doing because you're doing the right thing. You're sticking there with kale and Brussels sprouts and winter cabbage and leeks. I often think that we try to force the garden to gear things out of season. Hmm. And one of the joys of having a gardener an allotment is that you eat different things at different times of year when they come ready. You know, you get more of a sense of seasonality. But being a wee bit more positive and dealing with outside the things for folk that didn't hear tunnel, if you're growing garlic, that should be in by now and covered with a thick mulch. Um, turnips would be another bet for a late sowing. Perpetual spinach is another idea. And you can, far about you are, broad beans. You could think about maybe even mm. trying some broad beans. Mm. And don't forget that this time of year, the gardens give you an awful lot. It's time to give something back to it. So green manure, winter seed mix, putting that on the allotment before the end of the month after a good clear up so that you can dig it in in the spring is another good job to be at, you know. The allotment, the gardens, about the vegetable garden, it's about a cycle. It gives to you, you give back to it. And I, I don't like to try and force it, especially here in Scotland where, you know, we can get late frosts and think mm. you put a lot of effort in and things get burnt off. So I tend to focus on putting something back into the garden and then starting things away a wee bit earlier in the new year. Fair right. Piece. Second Fair question, piece. Steve. Well, it's just that if you didn't have the space uh, to put on any of these things in um, the new, is there anything that you, you might bring on in modules over the winter that you put out in January or a bit later? And if so, how? Well, there's a lot of things that you can get started away early, especially if you've got a cow frame that's wheel insulated and maybe it's even a soil warming cable. In the bottom of it, and you can younger folk with allotments. It's like anything in life; it's an investment, and you, you can name many Alitech access greenhouses. You know that you get, you can set up again the house wall, and you can, you know, you can get near electricity, get a wee propagator in them. You can maybe even put a wee fan heater in it if need be to keep Jack Frost off. You know, that's a grand investment. You'll get a lifetime's reward out of it. But if you kind of get things like that set up the now, even just with a cold frame, mm. you know, things like salad onions, radish, radish French breakfast, beetroot boat hardy, mm -hmm. winter leaf salad mixes, you know, cost lettuce, lobjits greens, a Gideon in the cold frame. You know, they, they all work out. But none of that's easy if mm. you're distance for the allotment because... If you've got a cold frame or a greenhouse, you've got to watch for watering and ventilation. It's ventilation that's the key to stopping diseases like damping off. You can, right, if you've got right. frames, you've got to be able to vent them every day, shut them down at night. So having that capability to start things away early in January, maybe like sowing your onions and seed trays and starting off your onion sets in a mini greenhouse or in mm. a cold frame, as I said, with a soil warming cable, 
or in wee pots or wee modules, early salad crops, herbs, or just sowing early carrots in a frame. That's all possible if your frame in your greenhouse is right next to the house where you're seeing it every day. Yeah, it but is. if your allotment's a couple of hundred yards away or half a mile or mere away, you're not as prone to see what's going on. And, you, and you, you'll have discovered that already. So if I was saying to you in your second year, I would be trying to get at least a cold frame near at the garden at the house where you could maybe get a soil warming cable in the bottom. And that would give you a lot of potential to do other things. Grant. Right. Now, Steve... Um, you've just become, you know, the the team involved in the new dandelion project. Tell us a bit more about that. Aye, it's an awful interesting project altogether. For the next year till October or sort of Hearst time, twenty twenty two, there's a project called Dandelion. Uh, there's a whole team of folk that's going to be working across uh, about fourteen, I think, uh, communities in Scotland. And doing a thing focused around what they cry unexpected gardens. That is looking at ways that folk that maybe doesn't have access to gardens can grow things in places in their community and maybe looking at things like vertical growing and making better use of space and all that sort of thing. So it's a bit of an experiment. They're working together with the Scottish Rural Agricultural College and the James Hutton Institute, but there's a whole kind of music and folklore ethnology side to it and ah. So there'll be musicians and residents and uh, creative producers and myself, along with Gary West and Mary McFadden, both uh, kent to these perts, um, mm-hmm. we're working as what they cry creative ethnologists. So we're folklorists essentially going out to collect bits and pieces of Hearst traditions and, and feed some of that back into the, the creative side of the Hill project. What a fabulous idea that is. A big, big project. And uh, we're hopefully going to be featuring that in the Scots Radio programme next episode as well to hear more about it. What about schools? Are they going to be involved, Steve? Aye, they're looking to try and work with about 400 primaries and 100 uh, secondary skills. But it's that evolving the new. We've just had our first meeting this week and we're putting that all together. But there'll be a big growing element to it as well. The skills will be getting things to grow themselves and a big kind of tatty experiment in that. So look out for other the, the buzz coming up. But it launches uh, later on in October, so you'll hear a bit more about it later then. That's great. It's, it's a smashing project, as I said. Now, I can you have another garden question, but we'll keep that till later. Okay, thanks for that, Steve. Uh, okay, Clary, back to you. Give your next two recipes. Well, my next two are sweet ones, Frida, for ah. finishing off. So the first one's a beetroot chocolate cake with a special spooky Halloween topping. So we hoiked the last of the beetroot at the polytunnel the other day. So they're not that bonny. So it's a good way to use them up. Basically, you boil or steam or bake about half a pound of beetroot until it's tender. You melt four ounces of good dark chocolate in the microwave or in a bain-marie. And then add in seven fluid ounces of sunflower oil and a splash of vanilla. You whiz up the cooked beetroot to puree them. Then add in the chocolate mixture, whiz it again. And then add... Half a pound of golden castor sugar, three eggs, and then fold in half a pound of plain flour, three tablespoons of cocoa powder, and two teaspoons of baking powder. Pour it into a tin, about 20 centimetres, and you bake that for 180 degrees for 35 to 40 minutes, or until the top's slightly cracked and the skewer comes out clean. Leave it to cool. Now, for the topping for Halloween... I just found out about this. This is great fun for the kids. You melt four or five marshmallows in the microwave. So you do sort of 10 seconds at a time just until they get nice and soft, but not hot, obviously. Give them a wee stir 
And then you just kind of use your fingers and you stretch the marshmallow into webs all over the cake. <laughs> and it's really messy, but it's really fun. And it's a great wee extra bit of sweetness. I love that idea. <laughs> that is a smashing idea. Okay. So that's, that's one for the kids. So one, a more sensible pudding for the, for the grown-ups is my toffee apple roulade. Yeah. So for the filling, you cube a pound of eaten apples. You sort of saute them in maybe an ounce of butter with a clove, a couple of bashed cardamom pods and just saute those until they're lightly coloured and starting to soften. Add a tablespoon or two, no too much, a light brown sugar. Turn up the heat to melt the sugar and caramelise the apples. You can put in a wee splash of apple juice or water if you need, if it's sticking. And then once the apples are tender and the sauce is caramelised, you just set that aside to cool. For the meringue, whisk up four egg whites, teaspoon of lemon juice and a pinch of cream of tartar or cornflour to get it to the soft peak stage. You really need a stand mixer or electric beaters unless you've got like arms like Popeye. <laughs> There's a lot of beating. <laughs> and then you slowly add in eight ounces of golden caster sugar so you get to stiff peaks. And then you spread the mixture evenly into a lined Swiss roll tin. Sprinkle over a few flaked almonds and you bake that at 170 for about 30 minutes till it's golden and crispy. When it's cool, you lay the meringue face down on a clean tea towel or a sheet of parchment paper. Spread over a wee bit of whipped cream and then top with your caramelised apples and then roll it up as neatly as you can and slice it to serve. <laughs> right. Um, any any rumbling stomach noises going on? I thought that was a rumbling stomach, but it was somebody's fan in their computer. <laughs> 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 I thought that's Richie's stomach rumbling again. Probably Richie. was. Richie. Richie, 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 Richie. Oh. Uh, have you got a gardening question? Dave said the other day, We'll never give Richie a chance to ask a gardening question. Oh, well, question. that's awfully kind. I'm sure we have. We have. Have you got a question? Uh, well, usually I just sort of butt in with something, don't I? Uh, but actually, I do have a question, you know, and I was thinking about my garden. So you can my garden, Frida. It's sort of classic, typical townhouse garden. It's, <laughs> it's walled. There's a kind of sheddy at the bottom, and there's like a, a bed either side, and in the middle I've got, I'd like to call it a lawn, but let's just call it a green because it's fake gowans and moss and all that and all, you know. I love it for mm -hmm. that. That's fine. But where the problem is, is the definition between the flower bed and the grass is, is gone, you know, and it's a, a, a job I've thought about how to tackle very often is how to rebuild the edge of that grass and get a nice clean line and a nice step coming down into the bed and it's it's awful the new you know there's there's no some of it's grass and some of it's border and, and the lawnmowers changes the the kind of where the line is all the time so i'd love to get that done and get it really neat and tidy again you know but i didn't get the best way to do it there's there's two ways of dealing with that you either have to make the border slightly wider by about six inches Aye. or you've got to put a, a new edge on the lawn Aye, I need more grass and less bed. So You need more uh, grass and less bed. Aye. Well, what I would do is define the edge of the border that where you want it to be. Uh -huh. And if it was, you could, you know, you can shape it, put a line down, get Aye. a good clean shape on it. I might be tempted just to buy foot-wide tuff and run a strip of new tuff down oh, the edge. Aye. I mean, it'll look, it might look a wee bit different from the rest of the lawn to begin with. The matter. Um, but if yeah. you feed the rest of the lawn, they'll catch up with one another and it'll balance out. Okay. And that gives you a really good firm edge. 
Right. Uh, you know, it, I had the same problem in my lawn here oh, really? um, last year. And actually, I took the decision to lift the whole lawn. No and, way, and, man. And, and dig it. I took the decision to lift it and dig it and oh. completely re-turf the whole lawn. Because I've considered that, to be honest. Eh? It's like, I could go all the way with this now, you know? Well, I mean, the bottom line is you're in, I suspect, certainly for the foreseeable future, you're kind of forever home. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the lawn's like a carpet. Aye. If Very you're going so. to be there for another 10, 15, 20 years, you know what? Doing that, the sooner you do that job and Aye. do it right, the sooner you'll get the benefit of it. And if, if it was me Aye. in your situation, I don't think I would do it from seed. I would just, I would turf it. Just turf it. Yeah, turf yeah. It. I would turf it and stay off it. And, you know, it'll, within six to eight weeks, you'll be able to walk on it and you'll be, you'll have a nice neat edge and a lovely new lawn. I seriously fancy that. That's that. And, and, I'll, give you, yeah. and I'll give you an excuse to clean your lawnmower. Well, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for that, Ian, didn't I? Okay. You did indeed. You did indeed. There we go. Can, can I get back to Steve? Back to Steve. Steve, you're basically waiting there. Your third question and your last scene for this episode. I was getting nightmares there, Frida. We did the same thing. We had a wee bit of lawn at the front of our house back in the spring. Oh, and it, no. it took blinking weeks and we kept having to patch it. And, oh, oh, anyway, no. never mind. Oh, it's no that stressed for it. But anyway, good luck, Richie. The question is, we put in a couple of Karaka black, uh, blackberry plants last year, which is a brilliant New Zealand variety. Folks maybe seen them in the shops over the past few summers. Uh, some of the Scottish growers have been tacking them on. And uh, my brother-in-law works in the berry firms in Angus, and uh, I was impressed with him, and he said, aye, you could get ahead of them for this place. So I got a couple of bushes, put them in, got a bra crop off them, but I'm wanting to ken new what a day, what are the growth that's come on, uh, the new growth, and what I need to do to prune them back and make sure that I get some fruit set next year. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll try and talk you through that. Karaka blackberries are usually growing in a fan train system, freestanding on a post and wire frame that's got four wires on it. And they also enjoy a wee bit of well-rotted compost or manure put on in the autumn and in the spring. Overall, what you had to do is cut the old canes away after fruiting and harvesting, mm-hmm. and then tie in the new ends in the autumn. And... As you're doing that, just mind that the fruit is produced on the two-year-old canes or last season's growth. So in the summer, when the new canes start to grow, it's a good idea to separate them as the season goes on. And you can do this by either tying them in a vertical bunch in the middle of the frame, up a pole, and then tying them along the, the top wire as need be, and then after you've harvested in the autumn, you drop those new canes down onto the lower wires. Okay. There's another way of doing it, and I, I, I don't like it as much, and that is that you take the fruiting canes to the right of the middle of the frame, and you take the new canes to the left, but it ends up with a kind of lopsided looking plant. And, okay. and the other thing you have in mind is that you... You, you, you might have to do a wee bit of pruning after if there's been a bit of frost damage in the spring. Okay. Um, but having that wire frame with four wires, put the canes that grow next summer, as they start to grow and be new, pull them to the middle of the frame, tie them in a bunch, and if you need to take them along the top wire, 
let the fruit form on the lower ones. And when they're, when they're finished, cut them off and drop the ones out of the middle down. You get the picture. I do. Um, one wee bit is that some of the growth that's come on this year, the new growth, is off a lang. And I was just wondering for the sake of neatness. You can have got a wee frame, but I didn't hate tons and tons of space. And so I was just wondering for neatness, does it mark any difference if I just trim some of them back a wee bit? And if so, when would I do it? You've got in mind that they would produce fruit on the tips. So okay. they, 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 you know, if they, they need that length. So if you cut it off, you're cutting the plant's potential to produce fruit as long, mm-hmm. as, you, as, long as you accept that. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're big rambling devils, but by God, by God, they're good to eat. They are, they are. Okay, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right, Charlie, I said I'd come back to you for your, your final question, and it has to do with fan and far to use the compost. And a wee bit of explanation about your soil, because you've been taking soil samples as well, haven't you? Aye. Aye. Well, I started off looking at the soil because of the fact that it's just been grass for all this time, and and when I look about, some folk were saying that when you're planting, it's a good idea to put compost in the planting hole, and others say it's a bad idea for a long term because the tree root will bide in a hole rather than seek out nutrients in the native soil. And the soil's quite shallow; it's only about fourteen or twenty inch, and it's pretty hard clay beneath. I think the soil you describe it as loamy. It can get wet, but it dries out pretty well in the summer, and it's a dark colour. So I got a soil kit for the RHS online, and it. The soil's like pH 6, which I understand is pretty good for apples, but uh, it's completely devoid of nutrients. Uh, it's deficient in nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, like it's even on a scale. So I've been feeding it with bone fish and blood meal and some of that, uh, mic- I don't know if I have pronounced this right, microzeal fungi, right. which mm-hmm. I added to some recent plantings. And I'm trying to now use my kitchen and garden waste to make my own compost so I can regularly mulch once I get it going. So the question is, I suppose, fan to use compost and fan need to use compost. Dave, what to you? Well, I mean, planting fruit trees, Charlie's kind of doing the route and he's got them in. But I think maybe for other listeners, it's worth just saying, if you are going to put in fruit trees, personally, I like to prepare a good hole about 12 mm-hmm. feet deep and keep the subsoil separate for the topsoil as you dig it and get mm-hmm. that hole about the same size or mere across and you talked about having a hard pan in the bottom a hard clay pan i like to break yeah. up that pan when i'm planting and mm-hmm. i would use a fork to break it up or even a pick and when i get mm-hmm. to that point i would I try and fork in a wee pickle muck or compost into the very mm-hmm. bottom of the hole then i put mere topsoil back in with a wee bit more compost and filling it up tramping it down as you gone with your heels, getting it nice and firm. And you, the good thing is you can do that preparation weeks before the trees arrive, and that gives the mm-hmm. ground time to sell. And then when you're mm-hmm. delivered, you just hit to dig a weir hole in the middle in the right place and put the plant in so that you make sure you keep the graft union above the soil level. And then mm-hmm. I would mulch every year with well-rotted garden compost. When you come to put your others in, you're going to have to work around about the frame, but do try and get a decent-sized hole. And I always put compost in the bottom. I mean, at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're creating a hole. You're making a pot within the ground. And even if the the roots didn't go out beyond the the hole, 
they're feeding in it. But the situation you're in, I would maybe think about a wee drop, slow release granular fertilizer onto them. And there's lots of different ones on the market that you know that you can get. And you know, it wouldn't be right to name any particular one. They've all got good qualities about them. And I would get some of that forked in with the way things mm -hmm. are at the moment. Aye. The other thing I was wondering was about if, I, if I'm putting mulching about the trees, I'm wondering about this companion plants for helping the apple trees, like ones that attract pollinating insects or keep away pests. I, I read like garlic was good around apple trees, but if, if you're putting that stuff around the base and you're trying to mulch, it starts to become a little bit problematic. Well, there's, there's nothing to stop you doing that. But I, I, uh -huh. I, with fruit trees, I like to be practical and often draw a comparison between fruit trees and roses you can roses you've got to get in about them to prune them fruit trees you've got yeah. to get in about them to prune them to pick the fruit and do other wee jobs now and again so you're not wanting a load of plants scuttering around about underneath your feet getting in the road yeah. to me when you've got apple trees or pears or anything like that in the grass you know, grass rune about them's fine. There's nothing looks better than grass rune about fruit trees with daffodils, crocus, frittle areas and things coming up in the spring. And for mm -hmm. cordons, if they're all in a nice row and they're all nicely pruned and you've got a nice load of compost around the bottom of them, that looks lovely and tidy. It looks cared for. And, you know, that, yeah. that I'm no so keen on putting things around the bottom, but there's, there's nothing to stop you doing it, you know. Folk mm -hmm. do it, you know, I've seen it done. Mm -hmm. I, I thought just... When I was talking to Frida, you were wondering about conference pairs, and you know, again, conference is a self-pollinating pair, um, uh -huh. but it will generally produce mere fruit if you've got other uh -huh. varieties like Beth or Concord or Williams uh -huh. Born Cheating present. And you need to maintain uh -huh. that pears generally, you know, they don't uh -huh. start producing really a lot of fruit until they're about four or five years after planting. But, you know, you've really done all the right things. And I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, give it a year or two and you'll have more fruit than you can what today we, you'll, you'll, you'll be back in the programme saying to Claire, help, help, I need a load of recipes. <laughs> now, before, we, before we started, when we were speaking about Charlie's uh, beautiful pizza oven, you built a, a great pizza uh -huh. oven, so we could come around, where I wanted to go to, to Claire's house for, for food, but we could come around uh -huh. and help you. Can you mark pizzas with apples? Oh, aye. With apples, Oh, yeah? you can, well, yeah, the Italians have, have actually got a pizza recipe, and I think it's gorgonzola and the pear. Oh, aye. And that works well, pear works well in a pizza, it, especially with the cheese, you get a kind of a complement of, of flavours and there's no reason why you couldn't eat apple probably apple and porchetta or something would work oh, good uh -huh. yeah. right. it should be mentioned that you, you you have got a connection with Italy as well Charlie and that your your dear wife is from that country yeah. yes yeah my wife's Italian and I'm I'm a dual citizen Italian now wow, as well wonderful so. Uh, great recipes for that. Okay, that's all we need to. Can you all we need again? And we'll be rooting to yes. your house for the pizzas. Great time. <laughs> oh, I look forward to it. <laughs> Rest for our Now, last but not least, we finish this session and this series of Grow Radio. We didn't close the garden mine. We, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we did last year. We'll combine the gardeners We Are Chums in Scots Radio for our Christmas special or Christmas party. 
I just think there's something off a special about a gathering at Christmas. So join us for that special gathering. And then I think things according to plan, and it usually doesn't hereabouts, but we make it happen. <laughs> Regardless of the strings and barrers, who outrageous fortune, we'll let you can find us are happening. We'll be in our sheds again, so keep a look out for that. So we finished with the heat gardener guiding us, as is his wont, this time through the recommended colours of the winter garden, and hopefully on behalf of Richie myself, nae telling us about our money jobs to do in the garden this time. <laughs> ah, here you twa, there's lots of things to do, nae uh, skiving about in the wall, we looking for cups of tea with a cook. Uh, we were traumatised <laughs> last time. On with winter colour in your garden, over to you. Oh, Frida, you can, a lot of folk can get fed up when we get to this time of year. But I love the winter. I think maybe it's even more than the summer, and I can that's weird. But there's lots of good things happening in the garden in the winter. There's a lot of bonny flowers at this time of year, between now and April. Many of them with a grand sweet fragrance. There's bra-coloured stems and brightly coloured fruits and gorgeous bark and trees filled with texture and bright and bold and subtle colours and then you get all the glamorous evergreens, they come out with a party frock on in the winter with variegated foliage that seems to dance in the sun and a wee tip about the sunshine in the winter. Watch your garden and look carefully where the sun shines because if you plant the bonny things where the sun will hit them, they just dance and touch your soul. And Try and get things in different places so that if you're standing at the kitchen window in the morning doing the dishes, you look outside and you see something in flour that looks bonny when it catches the sun. Or if you're sitting in your conservatory with a cup of coffee or in the lounge in the late afternoon, you're seeing something doing the garden. I often think the garden is like a living clock, a calendar that ticks away week to week. And if you plan it right, it'll look different every time you kick out. And do that, in December and January will be here before you can it. The snowdrops mm -hmm. will be out, the winter aconites. It reminds me, there's a wee word that came from Vita Sackwell West in her book, The Garden. She said, Gardener, if you listen, listen well. Plant for winter pleasure when the months dishearten. Plant to find a fragile note. Touched from the brittle violin of frost. There's Ooh. nothing like a frost-covered garden yeah. and looking out the window on it. And there's a lot of list of things I could give you. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to point you in the direction of two books that I've had since my student days. One of them was called Colour in the Winter Garden by Graham Stuart Thomas. And a wee of years later, I got another in the Winter Flower Garden by Sonia Keenan. And they're both easily found online. If I had to choose five plants... It would be Erica Carnia, either Springwood White, Springwood Pink, or Might and Ruby. A Hamamelis, Witch Hazel, can Hamamelis Intermedia Pallida. Mm -hmm. I'd yeah. have to have a Mahonia, me yep. media, cross media winter sun. And then there's all the hellebores. Oh, can't wait to see them dancing. The bonny stems of the willows, can when they're stooled. And something like Viburnum, Bodden Intensity Dawn, it has white and pink and glorious fragrance. Oh, mm -hmm. going things are joy. And if you're feeling flush and you feel like spending 30, 40 pounds on a plant, Oof. which I was mad enough to do last year, I bought a thing called Daphne Blois Jacqueline Postel. You can smell it in the winter for three Daphne's or four feet away and it's evergreen. There's so much at this time of year. 
Let the garden touch your soul. Plant for winter and you'll hear a lot of joy. The brittle violin of frost. I love that line. Isn't that a lovely line? Steve, you will appreciate that line. Not a cracker. The brittle violin of frost. Absolutely, yep. Uh, Vita Sackwell West was a beautiful writer. There was no doubt about that. That's true. Okay, thank you, Mr David Mitchell. And we close the shady doors again for the end of the season. Join us again next year, and don't forget we're not far away. Visit our Grow Radio website to enjoy the films made by our team member, Finn Nixon, and to record your garden questions on our super-duper record button. And remember, you can email us on info at growradio.com. And we're I just are there. Well, <laughs> we've never just quite been are there, some folks say. <laughs> but we're there in Scotch Radio www.scotsradio.com www.scotsradio.com and then I heard back just get in contact with us or listen to us and join us and as I said earlier we finished this session we are track for Charlie Abel's new CD and thank you to Charlie for joining us CD's card out of the box track card Linda's anniversary waltz and that's a cracker absolute thank you Charlie it really is a great CD thank you for sending that it's just lovely thank you cheers so for the team Richie Werner Dave Mitchell Claire Patterson Steve Byrne and Charlie Abel and for me Frida Morrison enjoy your garden and the haste you back and talk your partners dancing your shaggies folks lads and Claire are you ready talk your partners are you ready one two three Bye! Bye. Bye.